Bird's Eye View is a member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. Find more podcasts like this at BaltimoreSportsReport.com. BaltimoreSportsReport.com. Welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. Today is May 15th, 2017, and this is episode 201. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Magnus. In this episode, we turn over the show to our favorite baseball widows. And we'll play a round of everyone's favorite game, Blame the Buck. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. It's time for the drink of the week. Scotty, what is your beverage of this week, this evening? Jake, I am going with a gin and tonic with Hendrix gin uh, within this glass. Uh, no cucumber this evening, but I did uh, adorn this glass with cucumber heavily this past Friday evening. No one's perfect, but uh, I do appreciate the, the choice. I went with a cornucopia of delights for myself this evening. Uh, amongst my favorite brews to choose from, uh, Loose Cannon, I've got a winking beverage in there. But I'm going to go with Snake Dog IPA from Flying Dog uh, in a can this evening. Ooh, in a can. Is that something you can get in the park, I think, right now? Uh, Snake Dog? I believe so. I think that's what the vendors are carrying yes, around. Yes, you can get it in pounders. a yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, if you want to find out what we are drinking here at Bird's Eye View Studios um, or at the ballpark, check us out on Untapped. I'm at MEGN8606. And I am at JakeE4025. Let's go ahead and stretch out and limber up because it's time for a checkup in the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. Gonna listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. <laughs> it's okay if you Yep, it's only going to take a little bit, Jake. Go ahead, take it off. Oh no, no, it's it's a it's a different kind of different kind of wing. What? Yeah, not not the same. What? Not the same. Look, I'm last, so disappointed. <laughs> you're really not, actually. Last week, it seemed like everyone was in the medical wing. Things got a little more dire this week, but at least it did lighten up. Um, you know, is still down with the hamstring. Wellington Castillo looks like he's set to come off the DL on schedule. But the big news, let's face it, is. Zach Britton. Oh, and we saw it this week, um, what happens when Zach Britton's on this team. Shut down for, um, as reports have been out there by Bridge Rowley, 45 to 60 days with a forearm discomfort. Um, this was news to Zach Britton. He's like, 60 days? Like, that's, I, I haven't even heard that number before. Like, 45 days, maybe, but not 60 days. What do you think of this news? I think this is um, typical games and uh, smoke screens. You think? Yeah. I think his arm is secretly falling off. I no, that totally agree with you about this. That's oh. why. I, that's why I think it's smokescreen of being like, oh, it's only going to be forty-five to sixty days. I was so optimistic a few weeks ago, so optimistic, and now I am completely opposite direction. I am a complete pessimist. I asked you the question before. 
And I'll ask you again, what do you think, Scotty? Tommy John surgery? I think he's going to have Tommy John surgery on both his left arm and right arm just to just <laughs> knock it all out at once. And his kid will have Tommy John surgery. Absolutely. It'll be a whole nine. It'll be a whole thing. Somehow he's going to have like Tommy John surgery on his like left knee or something like that as well. Just, just, just because. Remind me of his contract situation. Is next year his, his contract year? Uh, next year he's, he's under club control throughout next year. So again, it comes back to, um, going to be a lot of free agents going into the 2019 season. But I wonder what recovering from Tommy John surgery does to his market. Um, yeah, it probably knocks it down a, a bit, um, because people are not going to be sure whether or not he's going to be able to come back from it, um, from a velocity standpoint. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to knock him down, but really, do you really want a Zach Burton that can only pitch at 92 miles per hour? Well, it, it depends if the movement's there. Sure. I think even if the movement's there, if it's 92 miles per hour, I don't think it's quite as interesting. Well, maybe if he moves back to, to 92 miles an hour, people will get their wish and he could try starting again. Oh, there you go, folks. Always the optimist in Jake English. 140 characters or less? Let's do it this week on the Twitters. Hey, hey, hey. What's going on? Jake, we were brought back into touch with a former Baltimore Oriole this past week. It was a bad touch. But it wasn't Matt Weeders. It was Fat Albers. This tweet comes from Eric RDT at Barstool RDT. Fat Albers coming in for the Nats. Let's eat, big boy. Uh, and again, there was no better picture this week than Matt Albers looking helplessly out of the Nats dugout like his KFC bucket had just become empty. Yeah. Uh, he did handle the Orioles, though, didn't he? Did he? I think he didn't he let the game be a tie? The first time, yes. He came in the oh, second yeah, time. Oh, yeah, the second time, fun. and everything was, yeah. Next, let's go to a tweet from Ranting Oriole Bird, who tweets, of course, at Ranting Oriole. The rain is basically over in D.C. Post- postponing is real dumb. Signed, the meteorologist of O's Twitter. Which is true, by the way. Ranting Oriole, uh, Oriole Bird is the official meteorologist of O's Twitter. Are we allowed to get out such titles? Um, As official old guys of Twitter, are we allowed to do that? I think I think we can. I think okay. we can. I think we just did. Well, dumbness seems to be a part of that region, so we'll, we're, we're going to allow it. I was actually fine with the postponement. I, I th- Honestly, you know what I think happened? I think the Orioles and the Nationals got together and were like, look, we can really use an off day. Let's check Listen, the schedule. We'll get to this later on, and we've got bigger issues here. I want to talk about this other tweet that I came across this week, and it makes no sense. So Paul McCartney tweeted out, um, at Paul McCartney, by the way, if you want to follow him, hashtag a pirate's life. And uh, he's dressed in some terrible cosplay for the new Pirates of the Caribbean movie. Jake, is Paul McCartney leading the life that you've always wanted to live? He is, more than a little bit. Um, but I will say it's a little weird because uh, Keith Richards just did this a, a couple of years ago. I'm used to Keith Richards following the footsteps of Paul McCartney and not the other way around. Well, you know what this means. Hmm. Paul McCartney is joining the Rolling Stones. <laughs> I... I Cannot remember, but was Paul McCartney's last film credit, Give My Regards to Broad Street? Because that does not bode well for this next episode of the Pirates of the Caribbean 5OG or whatever this is. I tell you what, you go ahead and take care of the next tweet, um, and I'll go ahead and pull up his IMDb. <laughs> next tweet comes to us from Tom Jones, who tweets, at Steel Baru, B-A-R-U. Caleb shows that last year's injury doesn't prevent him from going to Dongtown. Ooh. That's hashtag Dongtown, by the Ooh. way. I like that. I like. Here's the thing about Caleb Joseph. He is baseball's time machine 
because in every count, he has the opportunity to go back in time and have two balls. That, that's pretty good. Uh, Jake, the last tweet is going to go into the blame the buck category. And we'll get into this a little bit later on the show. But this comes from Matt Kremitzer at Matt Kremitzer. Want to go at buck? No Brit in the wild card game. Managing by the save rules stand out. But there's no debating his ability to manage workloads. Look, there was a lot of critiquing of buck this week. I believe the word you're looking for is belly aching. Yeah, that's a good one, too. Um, if only we could ask questions of Buck and, and try to get a better perspective on what he's thinking. We would never be allowed. bird's eye view listeners as we do each and every year around mother's day we are taking over a segment of the show because well you could all use a little break from jake and scott this is sarah jake's wife and i'm carrie scott's wife and of course we need to start with our drink of the week i've got a lovely uh wine cooler wild berry flavored for the nice weather and because of scott's desire to have more children i have water Ah. You're halfway there. Halfway. <laughs> Looking back at our past shows, we noticed that maybe we've been a little too shallow. I mean, ranking hot guys, taking over the top of the show. It's been fun, but maybe we need to take things to the next level. Stretch our serious podcasting muscles. To do so, we've lined up a big interview. One the boys could never get. That's right. On this Baseball Widows edition of Bird's Eye View, we're talking with Orioles manager, Buck Showalter. The boys are going to be so jealous. I hope so. Buck, we're hosting this segment as a part of our annual Mother's Day takeover of Bird's Eye View. Besides using pink bats and raffling off those, um, lovely jerseys, what are your thoughts on the job we mothers have? A lot of times you hear people try to weigh in on things that they really don't know anything about. So I don't know. You know, I can't put myself there. I've never been, you know, faced the challenges that they face. That's well said, Buck. A mother's job is never done. What would be your biggest challenge? That's easy. Being a baseball widow from April to hopefully October. Really? You know, I wasn't really going to say that. Being a baseball widow, sometimes easier than having to actually deal with Jake and Scott on a daily basis. <laughs> it is true. I do get my Monday nights pretty much to myself. Well, Buck, Mother's Day was yesterday. Father's Day is right around the corner. Do you think we're too hard on the boys? I think some of the, the best jobs are done um, when it's expected of you. I don't know. Falls underneath the, what do they call it, Captain Obvious. I hope we've raised those expectations. If you're doing something that's important to a lot of people, you're going to be critiqued on it. Thank God it's important to people. You, know, you, you can surprise yourself, too. That's how you find out something. You know, the greatest, what is the greatest accolade you can pay a man is ask his opinion on something. All of a sudden, he says something. You go, wow, he actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I have no idea what he's talking about. Have I branched off your question enough? What else? Buck, do you ever listen to Bird's Eye View? Uh, no. There's certain things that you don't waste your time with. Yeah, me neither. What could they do to win you over? Probably nothing. So you're not much of a fan like me? Now it's two steps forward, one step back. It used to be about one and one, and sometimes one and two. What do you think the boys' peak will be with this show? Good to average, above average. 
No. Let's hear it. We want your unfiltered opinions on the boys. Well, I'm very careful about singling people out. Well, we're not that careful. Did you hear Jake embarrass himself on the recent show with Oriole's poetry? Come on. <laughs> it really pushed the hot button with all of us because it certainly wasn't called for. It was obvious. It was borderline professionally embarrassing. I couldn't agree more, but you're not the one who has to be seen with him in public. How can we drop the hint to him? Jake and I talked actually a couple times, but you, you let it kind of settle in for a day or two. And then uh, kind of for both of you, let reality kind of set in a little bit. All right, Buck, but let's not let Scott off the hook. Sometimes, okay, all the time, I cringe when he drops a dad joke or sings Christina Aguilera. You can tell by his body language if he's feeling good about himself. Scotty certainly says something with his body language, that's for sure. It is something that, you know, you notice. I've got a, a real frank answer about it. Aggressive in the right places. Sometimes, you know, you can be aggressive in the wrong places. All right, Buck. Instead of talking about the boys, we'd like to talk about the team for a few minutes. We have some pointers for you. You got some suggestions? I'm in. First, could you please stop going into extra innings on work nights? I have to get up really early, and these 12-inning games are killing me. All right, Buck. I love you. You know I love you. But I really need you to start blowing your nose before you start any interview. The nose whistle is driving me nuts. And... Have you talked to Pete about getting the club's money back for Ubaldo Jimenez? Oh, yeah, we need that. Mm-hmm. Also, could you please stop giving up the lead at the end of the game? Uh, wow, that's a great question because we, you know, we, we got to think about that. So, Buck, I was thinking, Jim Palmer had a lucrative career as a jockey model. Have you ever thought of dabbling in modeling or a similar field? Uh, not that I could remember or tell you about. All right, so I want to know, Buck. Do you ever wonder if the Baltimoreans will record another podcast? I was hoping for a nickname show. Oh, yeah. Everybody does. Well, Buck, we've really enjoyed talking with you today. What would you say to the boys asking you a few quick questions? Can we please be over? Well said. You know, Scotty, some of our good friends on the Twitters, on the Orioles' Twitters, have been complaining that Buck Showalter never takes any heat when he screws up. Now, I'm not sure how accurate that is, but we're going to spend some time criticizing Buck Showalter. Uh, But before doing so, let me just point out that we're about to beat up the manager of a team that has won nearly two-thirds of its games and is a half a game out of first place. This is a team that has had arguably one bad week with surprisingly few losses sprinkled out through the remainder of the schedule. Still, surprising performances aside, there's been a lot to scratch your head about from Buck Showalter in this season and this past week alone. So let's dive into the the real issues, Scotty. Um, I'm just going to try to find some. Hang on. All right, let's talk about this. All right. 25-man roster construction. Yeah. This is actually something I, I do want to know. Why does this team only have 11 pitchers right now? Uh, it's I, No one can explain this to me. It, with questionable starts from Gaussman, Tillman, Jimenez, Miley on occasion as well, and Bundy, 
uh, pushing every single time it gets past 100 pitches, you have to think that um, for a team that just doesn't have in terms of starting depth, they're going to have a ton of bullpen arms. And it comes back to the Norfolk shuttle, which you brought up earlier, which is fine, but you can't ride the rails too aggressively without coming off the tracks. Um, Jake, I just don't understand it. I understood it. Uh, when they came out of spring training, mm-hmm. it made perfect sense because you looked at the schedule and you're just like, okay, that makes sense. You know, you might as well go ahead and use a heavier bench because of the way the rotation doesn't have to be pitched as often as it does. But now that you're in mid-May, um, it was cute, but it needs to stop. There was a game earlier this season where Buck Showalter had three relievers he could go to. Yeah. In a game, he had three relievers that were unavailable. That was, that was this past week. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's I, I think that's unconscionable. Right. How how do you do that when you know that your starters any night of the week can go you know one and a third inning either through ineffectiveness, uh, the fact that their target practice on the mound, or through uh, early ejection? It just it seems foolish. Here's a question for you: Why is Craig Gentry still in this team? I have no idea. If he if he served a useful purpose. I, I, you you would have to explain it to me in in the most simple terms. Is he there to carry the water? Okay, so let's go back to spring training. We basically wrote off Craig Gentry and said, okay, that's good minor league depth in case someone gets injured. We can move him up and he could come in to play. But everyone was on the assumption, all right, Michael Bourne is going to make this team and he doesn't have a role. Then he gave that plan the finger. That's true. Um, and then Craig Drenchy came up, and you're like, okay, well, that makes sense for the time being until Trey Mancini cools off, and then Trey Mancini will go down, or Craig Gentry will go down. One of those guys will go down eventually when we need um, a, we need a, a relief arm, basically. But that hasn't happened. Craig Gentry has stayed up here and been used in um, infrequent roles, mainly as a late-inning defensive replacement, which, again, I don't have an issue with having a late-inning re- replacement. My bigger issue is... If you have Joey Rickard on the team currently, isn't he supposed to be your late-inning replacement as opposed to Craig Gentry? You know, I don't have anything against Craig Gentry, but he seems like a redundant piece. Yeah. If you've got Joey Rickard and you've got Michael Bourne and you've got any, and I mean any, replacement value player in the minors that you can Norfolk shuttle up in, in a moment of dire need. Sure. Why do you need Craig Gentry? Yeah, I think the only thing that you can come back to say Craig Gentry may be necessary is um, if you need someone to go out there and play center field, Gentry could go out there and play center field. But Joey Rickard can go out there and play center field. But again, no one's going to replace Jones. It comes back to if Jones is out for a prolonged period of time, this team is going to be in trouble no matter if it's Craig Gentry and or Joey Rickard playing center field. Regardless of all that, I think the point to be made is that Buck Showalter is content with Joey Rickard playing center field. Yes. Whether or not it's a good idea, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's fine with it. And and beyond all that, which is true. I was th- also okay with Nolan Rimmel playing center field for a few games. But, yeah, he uh, was the only one. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any reason in the world why Craig Gentry wouldn't pass through waivers if I, they tried to send him down. That's the whole thing. Like, you look at his age, and, you know, maybe some team picks him up, but do you think that team is going to hold on to him? And if you lost him, are you going to be like, oh, that was the piece that was going to get into the playoffs. The only thing that Gentry offers that nobody else on the team does right now is that ability to steal a base late in the game. But it's the AL East. You know, this team is not made for stolen base, stealing bases. Is it occasionally nice to see? Sure. 
but that's it's a it's a luxury that this team doesn't have. If this team had starters that could get into the seventh or eighth inning, sure it'd be nice to have someone that could you know come in and steal a base occasionally. But Gentry is a luxury right now, and the team doesn't have the ability to have a luxury um, with the bullpen being as decimated as it is. All right, well, there's twenty five man roster. Do you have any other beef with the roster itself, or can I move on to the lineup? <sighs> I don't have any major beef except for all this talk about Hunsu Kim being designated for assignment and or traded because he's just taking up a spot on the bench, which is absolutely ridiculous. Well, that leads into my next point. Sure. Free Hunsu Kim. Where is he? So he's basically not coming into the lineup because of Trey Mancini, because Trey Mancini is in fuego, um, allegedly is the best way to describe it. Uh, he's and, allegedly in fuego. <laughs> look, he's having uh, some very good games. But I feel like he fits that Chris Davis mold where he goes off for like a game or two and then he gets like absolutely cold for a while. And I don't understand why he's not called out on it more more often. And to be fair, like when he hits the home runs, there's some big home runs. But a lot of games you come up and you're just like, either he is going to be an absolute masher this game or he's just going to strike out. I mean, Mancini this past week put up a 33.3% K rate. If Chris Davis or Mark Trumbull would have done that, fans would have been going gonzo over it um but that doesn't happen it's trey mancini is chicka chicka boom boom and uh, everyone loves him i think that it would be madness when he's on one of his tears to talk about benching him oh, because totally. when he's hot he's hot oh yeah but the thing is is that mancini is a rookie and he needs to adjust to this league and so he's going to be streaky and so after he gets done those three or four games in a row of hitting a dinger game or more I don't understand why you can't find a way to platoon in Kim to get some reasonable at-bats. Right. And the other aspect is if we really want to keep Gentry, I don't understand how does it hurt to put Mancini back down into the minors, which was the whole plan all along, say, hey, warm back up again. We'll bring you back up again. Um, And then, as the Orioles do, come up with some phantom DL injury for a bullpen arm or something and say, Mancini, you're coming right back up before the 10-day period's up. You're not wrong. Yeah. Okay, that that thing you just said was a was a logical and good point, but it's moot, right? Because the Orioles are running a five man bench, right? If you put Kim in the outfield and you're not happy with his defense, you've got Craig Gentry that you can bring in in the seventh inning, and you only have to deal with a little bit of the bad defense from Kim. The fact that they have so many options to go to hurts Kim, and I get that. Yeah, but you're not using Gentry. And in addition, you're not using Kim, which is just nuts to me. We've also seen Seth Smith get replaced defensively in the field a lot for late innings. And I don't understand it. Everything that I've seen so far from Seth Smith makes me think, meh, average outfielder, basically. He was billed as a, as a subpar defender. I hadn't seen him play beforehand. And, and frankly, I haven't seen anything that's made him, you know, Trumbo-like in right field. No one is like Trumbo. Trumbo is in his own Vladimir Guerrero category by himself. But when Smith was acquired by the Orioles, the buzz around the league was, oh, another guy who should be playing DH that's playing for the Orioles now. I, I understand that. And I look back at his... um his defensive runs scored last year. It was negative 13. But I'm also looking back at previous seasons, 2015, 0.6, 2014, negative 0.86, 2013, negative 5.9. Again, he hasn't been great this year, negative 1.1. But I don't feel like there's anything out there from a range standpoint that has makes me say, this guy can't cut it out there as a, a as a decent or an average defensive option. You know what else we haven't talked about? All right. Kim... Kim's not getting at bats. Yeah. And yet Ryan Flaherty has started in left field. 
that did happen during the Red Sox series, which is questionable at best. Um, now there was discussion at that point of, um, you know, could he go against Stephen Wright, who was throwing a knuckleball? Um, could Kim play left field with the green monster? Look, every single time Hunsu come Kim comes up there, he shows a great plate discipline. He shows the ability to draw walks. Um, I want to see more from Hunsu Kim. I want to see Hunsu Kim and Seth Smith more often. And personally, I'd rather see those two guys out there and occasionally put Mark Trumbo on the bunch because Mark Trumbo has shown me nothing so far that indicates that he should be an everyday DH. Yeah, and, and that's another key component of this lineup construction. Buck Showalter is letting his guys who are slumping that usually reside in the middle of the lineup slump from the middle of the lineup. Right. And you saw it with Manny Machado, and we can talk about whether or not Manny Machado is really having that bad a season or not. Sure. We've seen this other other seasons, too, when Chris Davis is slumping, where it's constantly batting fourth or fifth, and it's like it would really make a lot of sense to put Chris Davis at the number six hole right. and kind of move him down. But I'm sorry. Mark Trumbo has 37 million reasons that his ego can handle batting seventh sure. for a couple of weeks until his bat is hot again. Um, and that's the kind of stuff that you look at game after game. And when the O's are winning, okay, fine. But when they're struggling, you think to yourself, shake it up a little bit. You know, you're the manager. Do some things to make this club, you know, get a different look on a different night. Well, we've talked about this before in terms of lineup construction. How much does it really matter? But you're absolutely right. Just shaking it up a little bit. I mean, over the past 14 days, Adam Jones has posted a 14 weighted runs created plus, but yet he's still in that number two hole in the lineup. And I love Adam Jones. I want Adam Jones in there every single day. But should he be in that number two hole? I'm not sure if he should. I think a player such as Manny Machado being moved back up into the number two hole, or even a Jonathan Scope who has been hitting really well lately and showing decent play discipline would be a really interesting selection for maybe the number three hole. So if you came up with the aspect of Seth Smith, Manny Machado, Jonathan Scope, Chris Davis slash Mark Trumbo, and then putting Jones down the six hole, I think that's a really interesting scenario until people can start to get that feel again and start to get hot. And once those players get hot again, you can reshuffle the deck. But there's this reluctance to shift veteran players around um, down lower in the lineup. And part of that, I think, is clubhouse slash mental psyche. Part of it is, I think, just, well, that's the way we're going to roll it out there every single day. So let's not upset the Apple Apple card too much. Um, But it, it does kind of infuriate you to say, man, the middle of the order is doing nothing right now. And when that happens, you get instances like this weekend where um, the offense was pretty much went completely cold except for the backup catchers. And, you know, with the lineup constructed as it is, and on a normal day, in a normal week, this is a great lineup. Yeah. And I, you, I will also say I love Seth Smith in the leadoff role. Yeah. I mean, I, as much as I, I love seeing, would seeing Hunsu come up in the leadoff role, you know, people said, well, would you mind if Seth Smith was the leadoff hitter coming into the season? I was like, hey, you know what? I wouldn't mind it in terribly. And Seth Smith has been great in that leadoff spot. But if you put one of these guys like Jones or Trumbo or Mancini or whoever it is yeah. down near the bottom of the lineup, they're going to be in prime run-producing territory mm-hmm. just as much as they are. You know, of course, the the stats say, you know, put the guys that are doing well up as high as you can so they get the most at-bats. I totally get all that. But from a stroke the ego standpoint, you can't tell me that you can't take an Adam Jones or Mark Trumbo, put them lower in the lineup and say, hey, as long as everybody else is doing their job, you're going to you're gonna get just as many opportunities. Can I ask you a question just as a curiosity? Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about this. So Seth Smith, let's, let's call him. He'll be here be the leadoff hitter. How would you feel about Chris Davis being in the number two hole? Um, I think because of his propensity to walk, yeah. it makes sense. Okay. 
I will say, however, that I like howevers in this one. I'm I'm not sold on this. I, I think that what Chris Davis does for you is change games with a swing. Sure, and putting him too high in the lineup wastes one opportunity a game to do just that. If Chris Davis hits a home run in the first inning, batting second, he has the opportunity to put you up two to nothing. If he's batting fourth or fifth in the lineup, there is the possibility of him putting the game away in the first inning. Sure. You know? The other aspect is the staggered roster in terms of if you've got Sesmus batting off as a lefty, you don't want to put Chris Davis in that number two spot with a lefty again because it yep. stacks up poorly um, as the game progresses. I know, it, I know it sounds silly, but there's enough of that old baseball in me that says he's a bopper at least give him some opportunities to to do the job he's right. being paid ridiculously for. I'm not arguing. I just it's been one of those things where I've been looking at with Chris Davis um showing such good plate discipline in my opinion lately um and that walk rate that when he gets into this kind of zone where he is hitting with power but also he's just showing a great propensity to, to take the right pitches. I always am curious about man, I wonder what it would look like if he was he was in the number 2 hole and was just getting more people on the base. I don't know. Can I move on to my next gripe category? Sure. Which is the pinch hitting choices. Oh, this is a good one. This actually, is a good one. Actually, this is my real concern is the pinch hitting not choices. Yeah. If you're going to carry a five man bench, use it. Can we just call this the JJ Hardy situation? Basically? It really is. It's the JJ Hardy situation. So we all know what JJ Hardy brings. He brings, you know, uh, an above average glove. And yes, I realized early in the season, JJ Hardy had a lot of issues with fly balls dropping and just some really weird plays where a double play should have been turned and he didn't turn it. But overall, I still consider it to be JJ Hardy to be um, the consummate veteran that um, you don't have to worry about that often out there in the field. But when JJ Hardy comes up in the eighth or ninth inning and you've got a runner on second base or third base and you're just like, oh man, like, I, you could do it, but it's highly unlikely you can do it. And sometimes JJ does come through, but it just screams, I want someone that more consistently gives me a better chance. And if you've got Ryan Flaherty on your bench, why do you not go to a player like Hunsu Kim, especially when there's a right-handed pitcher on the mound, and say, I'm going to put Kim in here for, as a pinch hitter, and I'm going to put Flaherty in for the rest of the game and just hope that I can go ahead in this given situation. You're 100% right, because they're paying Ryan Flaherty. Ryan right. Flaherty is a very well-paid sure. super sub. He yeah. is a greatly paid utility infielder. Use him. Right. You know, if he if well, J.J. Hardy comes and, up— And it's not like J.J. Hardy couldn't use the aspect of, oh, if we go to extra innings, I could actually use the rest as right. well. So Right. And, but the thing is, is that just like you said, Kim or Smith, if he's on the bench, or if both of those guys are engaged in the game, you've got a Mancini on the bench, you have weapons to go to. I don't understand why we're not using them. And, and really, all I can think is, he's Buck's guy, right? Buck's going Veteran. on the track record. But— he hasn't been an offensive weapon in a long time. But he, it, it, those not, twenty-five to thirty home run years from from Hardy are gone. Yeah. When was the last time he sniffed two sixty? Um, it's it's been a while, and it, it comes back to he also doesn't have that additional ability to get extra base hits. When he hits it, it's normally a single, um, which again doesn't do much for you. I mean, this year alone, thirty-seven weighted runs created plus Jake. Thirty-seven. I mean. I don't know. He has had a few clutch hits. I will give him that. But he he did make me look really bad when I tweeted about him being an automatic out. But let's be honest. Like that was mostly just spite. Everybody occasionally gets that, you know, 
lucky hit is the best way to describe it. I hate to say that, but it, eventually that you're going to get it. I just don't understand why you don't put yourself in a better situation by bringing Hansu Kim in or Trey Mancini or whoever else is on your bench that has a better way to run created plus of 37. The other thing I don't get is is not hitting for whichever of your backup catcher is up late in the game. At this point, I don't think there's a whole lot of difference between Caleb Joseph and, and Francisco Pena, either behind the plate or at the bat. And so if they're in a critical position like that at the end of the game— Especially late in the game. If, you, yeah. or if you're going to bring Pena in or Joseph in to catch you know a few extra innings at the end of the game, even if it goes to extra innings, it's not going to make a dramatic impact on the game putting in a backup catcher. The only thing it's doing is wear and tear. So yeah. if you really want to say, really wanted to give him a full day off, that's a whole other matter. But I don't think either one of those catchers is going to be too upset about coming into the ball game for two or three innings. Plus, you know, in the extra inning scenario, you've always got Ryan Flaherty, your emergency catcher. It's true. Something I desperately want to see. All right, let's move on to the next gripe list, which is handling of the starters. Okay. Do you have a whole lot of complaints about the handling of the starters? <sighs> Not too many. There's been a lot of weird instances so far this season where Buck has tried to get that extra that out. one out. That, that one additional out. And that I, was on my list, too. And I don't understand why Buck doesn't just go to them through the inning and be like, hey, thanks for your work. Appreciate it. We're going to take over with the bullpen. It's almost like he's like, I want to get him out here to get one additional out so that he can walk off the field to a standing ovation. Well, I, I really think it's all about, hey, I want to get one or two more outs. Let me steal an out or two from this guy so that I don't have to burn through my pen. I, I think that's what it's about. And and I think that's particularly magnified because of what we talked about with his, in my opinion, misuse of the the twenty five man roster. He's got a short he's got a short bullpen to work with. But I that I, I come back to the whole point is like you don't need to get that one additional out if you have relief pitchers that can go multiple innings. And I've talked about this. You know, this is my this is my soapbox always. Yeah, which but is, can they go multiple innings every night? Uh, absolutely, because if you've got a pitcher like um, Gabriel Noah and you've got Logan Verrett, for example, both those pitchers could easily go two innings. Each and every night. So they could say, all right, Monday night it's going to be Verrett. Tuesday night it's going to be Inoa. Wednesday night it's going to be Verrett. Thursday night it's going to be Inoa. Or it could be Wednesday night it's going to be Givens is going to give you an inning and a half or two innings. Um, so I don't understand this aspect of wanting to get one additional out. One additional out doesn't really help you. I'd rather have a relief pitcher come in ready to know, go and say, all right, I'm ready ready to come in. The other thing that we've seen, too, with this whole one-out situation is the relief pitchers get up at weird times, and they have to rush to get their, right. get it, get ready. And when they rush to get in, I really feel like their command suffers as well. I'd rather give them a fresh inning and say, come in for the fresh inning. You know what you're dealing with. You know who you're going against. Um and let's hope for the best. And it's easy to back to, to backseat drive. I was going to say backseat drive, but uh, uh, to Monday morning quarterback and say, oh, well, that one extra out costs us the game. Right. And sometimes it does. Yeah. Right. But also sometimes it's fine. Sure. Right. Because, I mean, I always say that once you're past the fourth inning with Abaldo Jimenez, you're on borrowed time. Right. Right. But Abaldo Jimenez pitched in the, the eighth inning the other day. And yeah, he gave up that run, that series of runs in the, in the eighth inning. I think he gave up up to three. Yeah. But if your starter, especially Baldo Jimenez gives up three runs over eight innings, you usually take that any day of the week. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, so I realize it looked bad. The optics, Chris Tillman would have done that. We would have said Chris Tillman had an ace like game. Tonight. He gutted it out. Yep. He gutted it out. The optics are bad. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I kind of see where I'm, where he's going with this. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Is there anything to be said, and 
I'm not saying there is, I'm asking, is there anything to be said for trying to build a culture within the starting staff of going six, seven innings by making them go six, seven innings? Do you think that part of the the uh, impetus for that extra out might be saying, okay, you gave me six solid innings tonight. That's great. I want more. That's the expectation here. Jake, let me ask you a question. Have you ever run a 5K before? I have. Okay. At the end of that 5K, if someone came up to you and said, you know what? You did a really good job there. I'm going to need you to run an extra two miles on top of this 5K because um, I want you to grow as an individual. You know what I'd say? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was thinking you were going to say, mm-hmm. which is if the starters obviously don't have anything left to give, why are you trying to bleed them out even further. I mean, it does you no good and it just puts you in a bad situation. And the starter comes out of the game being like, God, what, what, uh, what, what just happened out there? Like I had a good game going through it and now I'm left with a situation where, you know, I could have a loss on my record and I, that just shouldn't matter to them. But from a psyche standpoint, it, it obviously would matter to some pitchers. Sure. Um, what do you think about the handling of Dylan Bundy as far as the workload, the inning count, all that? Look, I don't mind him pushing him to 100 pitches. What I mind is uh, pushing him to 110 plus and just saying, yeah, we're just going to keep pushing the envelope a little bit further and a little bit further. It's like a Jenga tower out there. I mean, it's okay to play with a little bit, but when you get a little too fancy with it, that Jenga tower is going to fall down. So you're saying it's okay to be aggressive in some places, but maybe too aggressive in others? Yes, that's correct. (laughs) The The thing is with Dylan Bundy is that they need to either decide that they're going to treat him like a Fabergé egg and skip starts and whatnot, or they're just going to have him be a horse. E- I-, I feel like at this point, either approach is okay, I, right? Because you're either going to find out that you've got a horse or he's going to get broke. And that's fine. It just, man, if he gets broke, 2018 is going to be a disaster season. Yeah. Just going to say it. Let's talk about bullpen management. Okay. And this is the one I think that gets people the hottest and the heaviest. Yeah. Do you think Buck Showalter has a problem with bullpen management? I actually don't. I think Buck is actually one of the better managers out there from a bullpen management. It's not like he's getting players up all the time. and uh, basically He's not saying, a fan of the dry hump. Yeah, he's not a favorite fan of the dry hump. And we've had managers in the past. Mark uh, Trumpley was famous for this, of saying, I'm going to get up two pitchers and have them start warming up. And then you'd be like, whatever happened to that guy that was warming up? And he's just sitting back down like, like well, I guess they didn't need me today. Every single time that you get a pitcher up, you're basically putting additional wear or tear on them. So even when Buck gets somebody up and says, I want you to start warming up, there's a good chance that guy's going to get in the game at least for one or two batters. Yeah, and here's the thing where this is difficult to quantify. I don't I don't know a way to scientifically say this. Buck swears by it, and I, I don't have any anything to support or, or disprove it. But Buck swears that if you get a guy up once and put him back down, and then get him up again to come into the game. The adrenaline just isn't there. Mm-hmm. The same je ne sais quoi is not there, and you risk the player not performing as well as he would have the first time. I, I don't know what the sports psychology is behind that, but I believe that Buck Showalter has seen enough baseball well, let me change, to let make me, that determination. Let me ask you this question. Uh, when you get up and then you get down, can you get back up again? No. Okay. No. I have trouble the first time. Um. But I do think... So what you're saying is you get knocked down, but you can't get back up again. That's right. So there's no thumping you're going to let tub. us down. There's no no thumping in the tub. Okay. I, I do think there's there's probably something to that. 
I, I think that there's there's probably something to that. And it's funny because on the Twitters you see, you know, folks cry out, "Well, you know, Obaldo's out there in the seventh. Why don't you have somebody warming just for when things get crazy?" Right. Well, because that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Because it's not good for the players' health, right? From a physical standpoint, as you pointed out, and you're risking not having an effective reliever. And how many warm pitches are you going to have them throw? You're going to be like, all right, throw five, and then we'll see what this batter does, and then we're going to throw five more, and then we're going to watch again, and then we're going to throw five more. You go try that. I guarantee you you're going to get an injury in the process. Um, It's not a good way to run a bullpen. We can't have it both ways. We can't praise Buck Showalter as a mastermind of bullpen management when the team is winning 96 games a season and then cry foul that he's forgotten everything that he's known when we lose a couple of games in a very, very early season. I think that though we've shown in this segment that he is not infallible, he's almost human, that Buck Showalter is capable of making mistakes and occasionally those mistakes hurt the ball club and cost us games. Yeah that this is really much ado about nothing. We have legit one of the best in the business. And oh, by the way, this team that just frustrated us through the Kansas City series and the one game of the Washington series in Washington has won nearly two-thirds of its games. And so the really, really frustrating, gut-wrenching losses that we've watched are one in a few instead of, oh, by the way, every GD game that we saw during the Dark Ages. And speaking of one in a few, I mean, we went into this week 8-1 and one in one-run games, basically, and then you had four consecutive one-run losses. It's almost like uh, it was a mean of regression where he's like, oh, well, we weren't going to win that many one-run games. Um, it was going to happen. It just it stinks that it happens four times in a row, but you knew that the Orioles were eventually going to lose a lot of these close games in weird and wacky ways. Can I just say, I hate losing that building. Yeah. Kauffman Stadium is a house of horrors. I, I will say this much. If you look at that stadium, there's nothing looking at that stadium that makes you think the Orioles would do well in that stadium just in terms of um, how it plays. Um, the outfield that the Royals have specifically placed towards them, um, the dimensions of the park scream, this ballpark is not set up for the Orioles that team for the Orioles is set up to again play in the AL East with Fenway Park, uh, Yankee Stadium, Camden Yards. They're not set up to play in Kauffman Stadium. So I'm not surprised that the Orioles do so poorly in it. Um, We'll see how well the Orioles handle the Royals when they come into Camden Yards. It was some serious PTSD. Yeah. Some serious. All I could hear was Chad and Jeremy blaring in my internal speakers. It's almost like you wanted to make some deep cuts. Oh, my scotty i got it you got it i got it all right it's herp albert and the uh, tijuana brass next that was that was a good one that was a good one done and done unfortunately um that was not the song we were going for this week all right all right fair enough so jake i have uh gone ahead and um it was a kind of a, a a misery week is the best way for for Birdland. A lot of crying, a lot of moaning, uh, just a lot of complaining in general. And we kind of talked about that in the last segment. So, Jake, I decided to go and pick out a 1960 song from the British Invasion um, that I believe you'll get this week. You, you tried to lob me a softball last week, I, and I refused I, to look at it. I'll tell you what. This is not the Beatles. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's not the Rolling Stones, but I think so. It's it's not pirate themed, is what you're I, telling I me. I think you might get this one. 
Don't Let the Sun Catch You Crying. Very That's well. the name of the song. Jerry and the Pacemakers? It is Jerry and the Pacemakers. Nailed it. See? This is not a very deep cut, though. I feel like this is a well-known song, or at least was in the 60s. I, I feel like this is a well-known song, um, and it's definitely up there on the billboard. But I think this is a really em- excellent choice for this week in Birdland. Um, and really, if you get a chance, check out Jerry and the Pacemakers, because Jake needed a softball right across the plate. Um, you, your cuts keep getting shallower and shallower. <laughs> so we're going to go back a little bit harder next week. But Jake needed a very easy win. He needed a win. Within After, like five seconds. So good job, Jake. You brought a little happiness back to Birdland. It's the norm. Yeah. All right. Well, you want to go ahead and take care of the good, the bad, and the, oh, there was a lot of ugly. That's right, folks. It's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly. Jake, why don't you go ahead and uh, get started for this week? That always frightens me because it makes me believe that you have something uh, planned for the ugly. My good this week is the Orioles' backup catchers. You brought it up earlier. Uh, With Castillo on the shelf, Caleb Joseph and Francisco Pena have been getting the job done behind the plate and at the plate. Let's look at their stats. Uh, Caleb Joseph, 304. Weighted runs created plus with a 608 Woba and a oh-so-sustainable, ha-ha-ha, 627 Babip. Simply put, that baby was eating all week. And in the game that Francisco Pena got in, oh, you know, just an 829 weighted runs created plus with a 1352 Woba. Unfortunately, because all he did was hit home runs, he had zero Babip to speak of. Zero balls in play. Uh, Hey, if you're going to have your starting catcher go down on the DL, it's awfully nice that this is the performance that your backups put in. So tip the cap to the backup catchers. Jake, my good for the week, I'm going to go all the way back to last Tuesday. I'm going to give my good to Logan Verrett mm-hmm. for coming in in the 10th, 11th, and 12th and putting up three scoreless innings and stealing a game from the Washington Nationals that Max Scherzer pitched an absolute gem of. Mm-hmm. Um Logan Verrett coming in there and pitching three innings, saving the bullpen from further explosion later in the week. Um, it was a thing of beauty, and Verrett had some wonderful pitches during that game. Um, of course, he was quickly put back to Norfolk afterwards, but I'm very eager to see um, more from Logan Verrett in the future, hopefully in replacement of a so-called Richard Blyer um, on this bullpen in the near future. All right, my bad for the week is the prospect of an Adam Jones injury. Adam Jones attempted to make a play in the field, came up a little bit short, and then basically grimaced his way through the remainder of the game, and then was not in the lineup the following day, right before an off day. It's clear that uh, this Buckshaw Walter is trying to give Adam Jones a couple of days off to see if that thing will clear up, but... If it's anything in that abdomen region or something like that, you remember the last time he was out for a considerable time. Yep. This team looks a lot different without the cap 10 in center field. So uh, it's bad news for the Orioles if he's injured. Not saying that it's more serious than it looked, but please get better. 
Adam Jones. So Manny Machado obviously has to be the bad for the week, um, posting up a fairly ridiculous 15-weighter unscreened plus. But it's not even that. What really bothered me this past week is the 33% K rate that he's putting out. He had some absolutely horrible looking at bats where he kind of just waved and went back to the dugout. Manny Machado um, is certainly slumping right now. Um, there are certain peripherals that make it look like he may come out of it due to his exit velocity. But if Manny Machado has that plate discipline at the plate where the K rate skyrockets again, um, we're in for a long season. So Manny Machado, you're on notice at the plate. Now the Orioles had a pretty bad look uh, in Kansas City, striking out you know a ton. But they also played Max Scherzer this week. And so I ask you, when you look at the K rate for all of our batters, isn't that going to be somewhat inflated? Oh, a little bit. Yeah, you're right. There's no question about it. But again, you even look at this um, previous Kansas City s- series, and uh, we had 12 Ks against, who was it, Garns or? Carnes. Carnes. Yeah. yeah, Carnes. See, you shouldn't have 12 Ks against Carnes. No. I, I couldn't even remember who it was until you said Nathan Carnes. Nathan Carnes. He used to play for the Nationals. Um, all right. My ugly for the week is going to be Brad Brock. And it's just simple. Look, nobody's perfect except for Zach Britton in 2016. So when you lose perfection, it's that much more underscored. We found out that uh, Zach Britton was going to be out for 45 to 60 days, and Brad Brock came in and promptly blew a save. Uh, when you lose games like that, it is the most excruciating way to happen. The bullpen arms told us for a long time, oh, this Brad Brock guy, he's got closer stuff. We saw it briefly, and I got to be honest, I don't know that we're seeing it. And I don't know that Brad Brock is really cut out to close the games. I don't know how else I'm going to be convinced other than him getting more opportunities to do it. But that was ugly. It was ugly. It was hurtful. And I hope we don't have the opportunity to see any more of this ugly. Jake, the ugly first week obviously has to go to the face of Major League Baseball. And of course, I'm talking about Jeets. Derek Jeter being called the face of Major League Baseball and the pomp and circumstance surrounding the retirement ceremony that occurred on Sunday night for Derek Jeter was just overblown and, well, to be expected by Major League Baseball. But again, we got all the hot takes in the world about how Derek Jeter is the greatest shortstop of all time, once again, and how he deserves to have 110% of the vote go to him when he is enshrined in Cooperstown in the years to come. First of all, folks, Cal Ripken is one of the greatest shortstops of all time, probably not the best shortstop of all time. Hannes Wagner. Hannes Wagner. But even I would come back to the point of, if you're looking at shortstops that are the greatest of all time, look at Derek Jeter's own team. Alex Rodriguez was on that team. Alex Rodriguez easily trumps Derek Jeter in terms of um, offense performance, defensive performance, everything. He just doesn't have what Yankees fans like to call that it factor, the rings. He's no captain. And this is what bothers me. Should it all be about championships or should it be about the aspect of what you do on the field? Should one's per, should your ability to say how great you are be based off the aspect of being able to throw out Jason Giambi coming to the plate or falling into the stands? Personally, I'd say no. I look at how well someone does offensively and how someone does defensively and give them accolades. And no, be it all, I'd still say that Derek Jeter potentially could be a top five shortstop in my category. But certainly, he's not the best shortstop of all time 
nor is he the face of Major League Baseball now or in the future. He was a great player. He was a great player. He was a great player. Yeah. But the over-worship of the Jeets yes. just makes me sick. It does make me sick. All right. Blowing the save. Mind if I take it this week? Blow it. All right. I'm going to blow the save this week. So I was thinking this week. Never a good sign. Never a good sign. So we're in the 25th anniversary of Canyon Yards. And um, let's just say that Orioles teams in the past have been celebrated. And I thought to myself, it's the 20th anniversary of the 1997 Baltimore Orioles. Wire to wire, AL East champions. And we haven't heard a single word about them. Not a single word. So, Jake, I asked you this question. Why are the Baltimore Orioles not going to recognize the 1997 Baltimore Orioles? Is it because, again, they didn't get a championship? Is it because um, of the Davey Johnson situation and Peter Angelo still does not want to come to grips with having to confront Davey Johnson? Is it Roberto Alomar is just way too white now and that's just an awkward conversation? What is it that people don't like to talk about the 1997 Orioles? As a fan myself as a kid and thinking about the 97, 96 and 97 Orioles, I still look back on it, and the 97 season is somewhat of a blur to me. I remember thinking about all the superstars. I remember Ripken and Alomar being out there and thinking to myself, this might be one of the greatest shortstops to second base combos. But in the years following, we really haven't paid the respect um, of how good that team was during the 1997 season. And I question you at this 20th anniversary, should the Orioles do something? Do you think that they should have a night honoring the 1997 Orioles? Maybe play some 1997 music through the ballpark that evening. Maybe say, hey, we're willing to offer tickets at the price they were in 1997. Say, hey, if you're willing to come into the stadium dressed in 1990s gear, we'll give you a you know a giveaway of shirt or something in that regards. Jake, this is the kind of PR stuff that I'm looking for the Baltimore Orioles to do to try to reinvigorate my childhood. And yet I'm left with nothing, nothing but bad memories of the 1997 Orioles and Armando Benitez giving up a home run. Jake, why are we not recognizing the 1997 Orioles? I was ready to, to dismiss you before you started talking about ticket giveaways. Yeah. On a Monday or a Tuesday night when nobody's at the ballpark, that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, but I think that the reason that the 97 team is so special for us is, is that we are men of a certain age and that if you were not, you know, 97, so 14, Mm -hmm. uh, 13 in that, uh, in that year, maybe it's not so special for you. And as you indicated, this team didn't, didn't win a championship. Here's the thing because of the 14 years that followed, we had to erect a statue in our minds to that, that wire-to-wire team. Sure. Other, do you think the Cardinals would care about a team that went wire-to-wire but didn't make it all the way? No. No. They have championships. Yeah. They have things to care about. And it's a lot harder to sell when you have teams that go to the playoffs and don't quite make it in the recent past that you don't have to reach so far back to 97. But having said all that, having poo-pooed all of it, I say your 1997 flannel night is a great idea. Orange flannel shirt, throwback prices, pack the yard on a Monday or Tuesday night. I think you ought to sell that to the Orioles because it's a darn good idea. I I definitely think it's a great idea. Um, 
Also, have you looked at the albums that came out in 1997 and are now 20 years old? I, I have, and it's really disappointing. Uh, just kind of looking back at it and just being like, man, there was so much good music, including ones like this, Jake. <laughs> was this 97? This is 97. Oh. So, Jake, I ask you, why are the Orioles not doing this? I have no idea. I'm I'm somewhat torn. By the way, this is the reference that I make all the time. Torn, as in Natalie Young and Young folks, Brulia. go check out Natalie and Brulia's Torn. And with that, that's our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire of Indispensable Catalog at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. Bird's Eye View is a proud member of the Baltimore Sports Report Network. You can find this show on BaltimoreSportsReport.com slash network and also on BaseballTalkRadio.com, the home of great baseball talk. Bird's Eye View is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. (laughs) We appreciate the rating and a review. It helps to establish what's called a social proof about this show and encourages new listeners to check it out. Trust me, no one's engaging after this one. So engage with us on social media. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Google+, and Snapchat. But the best way to get a hold of us is on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. I believe that you did not plan on closing the show with Torn. Of course I didn't. There's no question (laughs) in my mind. I didn't have it already queued up. (laughs) Well, then, Baltimore and beyond, I bid you all a fond adieu-adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. And let's go O's. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.